You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Thank you, David. Y'all grab a seat, and if you have a Bible, let me invite you to open to two places, John chapter 20 and Philippians chapter 2. This is week three of a little pause from the book of Romans. We're looking at three weeks on what does it mean to live life on mission as a Christian. We're calling it Let's Go. Everybody say, Let's Go. All right, just a holiday weekend, three-day weekend. want to see how caffeinated you are. Uh, On the very first Easter Sunday, the actual Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, uh, Jesus rose from the grave early in the morning, uh, left the grave, and some of the disciples, both men and women, would come to try to find him. Some of the women were there to uh, dress his body and take care of him and anoint him. Uh, Peter and John came running to the tomb looking for Jesus. They all found an empty tomb, and Jesus actually met and talked to Mary Magdalene. Magdalene that morning and said that he was going to meet with the disciples later on. And uh, later on that day, Easter night, he found himself uh, talking with the disciples. And these weren't just the 12 disciples that had a job really kind of leading the church in the future. These were all of the disciples that by their own definition would say they were followers of Jesus. So this was all the Christians really that existed at the time, which was not many. Uh, It doesn't tell us how many people were there that day, but uh, roughly a hundred, maybe a little bit more were there that day waiting on Jesus. And they were so confused when Jesus died because they didn't understand a lot of what the Old Testament said and a lot of the prophecies and promises that Jesus made. So Jesus died and they were terrified. Um, They were scared because their leader was now dead. Um, The people, the Jewish leaders who had persecuted their leader were still there trying to snuff out this Jesus movement. And so if they came for Jesus, no doubt they thought that they, they were going to come for them as well. So they were confused. They were scared. Um, The disciples no doubt were grieving. If you have ever had a good friend that was tortured in public and crucified, I'm sure that uh, that would have some deep scars. And so they were grieving uh, the loss of their friend. Um, They were confused about what had taken place. Um, They did not know that Jesus had already risen. And so they found a room. The disciples were huddled together, scared for their lives. They got inside and they locked the door on Easter night. And that's the backdrop to John chapter 20 when Jesus shows up. And this is how the apostle John explains it, who was there, witnessed the crucifixion. He was there in that room with the door locked, scared for his life when Jesus shows up. And in John chapter 20, verse 19, the apostle John says this. He says, on the evening of that day, that's Easter Sunday, the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. No doubt Jesus was reading the room. Obviously, he was God, so he could read their hearts and their intentions. But knowing that the doors were locked, he knew they were terrified. He knew there was no peace in their hearts. So the first thing that he says uh, to quiet their souls is, peace be with you. 
When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Could you imagine? I say this often, but one of the best tools for reading the Bible is to try to write yourself into the story and try and understand the situation and the backdrop and the feelings of the listeners. And imagine that you were in that room that day. Uh, You were grieving the loss of your friend. You were terrified that uh, his persecutors might come for you as well. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he starts showing you his hands that had holes in them. uh, pulls up his tunic, shows you his side that had been pierced by a, a sword, by a, by a spear. And he says, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They thought, oh my goodness, you are alive. You are in fact stronger than death. You do in fact do what you say that you can do. Uh, they, everything changed from this point for them. And then it's interesting, the very next thing that Jesus chose to tell his disciples. Okay, now again, you need to know that this is not just those that might consider themselves in full-time ministry. This would be all the disciples. So this would be the 11 disciples, the 12 minus Judas that uh, really saw kind of full-time ministry in their future. Um, this was some, were some single mothers uh, in this room. There were some single ladies in this room. There were some uh, parents. There were some people that had just normal jobs that would consider themselves Christians. There were probably some uh, drilling engineers uh, there. There were some geologists, no doubt, that were on the outskirts of Israel trying to look for oil, I joke. But like what I'm trying to say is what Jesus is about to say is for every single Christian. It was for all those people that self-proclaimed that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Easter Sunday, he rises from the dead, goes and finds them, says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. If you are a Christian, you are sent. Amen? This is for everyone. This is not just for a select few. Jesus shows up and he says, listen, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, Jesus was the first missionary. He was sent from his home to a foreign land with a mission, with a job, with a very clear task to accomplish. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Uh, I love how the the preacher in England, uh, Charles Spurgeon, really kind of paraphrases this. He says that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We either realize that in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus is talking to us, and so we live our lives on mission, or we're kind of an imposter, kind of playing this game. And some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that. Um, So we'll throw in a third category, either a missionary or an imposter, or you're just kind of learning this and excited and ready to go. But I want want you to know this is why we have a three-week series on this called Let's Go. We have a mission to accomplish. So what I want to unpack this morning is how do we be missionaries like Jesus? Jesus was the first missionary and obviously the best missionary. God sent him from heaven as a missionary with a mission to earth, and he had a few jobs that he was supposed to accomplish. And he knew very clearly what his mission was. He was to live a perfect, sinless, holy holy life, something that you and I just cannot do as hard as we try. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. We're not holy. That was the mission that Jesus was trying to accomplish. He was sent to seek and to save the lost. Uh, He was sent to establish his church. Uh, Part of his mission was to uh, identify and to raise up and to train and to deploy uh, some leaders that would lead the church into this next generation. Uh, His mission was to take that perfect life 
that he had lived and to lay it down as a sacrifice, to be crucified in our place for our sins and to rise from the dead. He was a man on a mission. He knew very clearly what his mission was. That's why if you read through the stories of the cross, at the end of Jesus' time, hanging up naked on a cross, being killed, he musters up the energy and and the lung capacity while he's hanging there almost breathless blood boring out of his body and one of the last things that he says is to which means what it is finished meaning that he was a man on a mission and before he was done he accomplished his mission he lived a perfect sinless holy life he established a church he trained some leaders he gave his perfect life in our place for our sins and so he accomplished his at least his leg of the mission his leg of the journey any track stars in here anybody that loves the olympics and likes to watch uh, track and field no i proceed anyway um, the, the the very last uh, element of every track meet is the mile relay uh, where you have four men or four women, one person uh, that loves pain just uh, hooped and hollered. It's, a, it's, it's four men or four women that each run uh, a quarter of a mile, and so you add it all up and you have a, a mile relay, and uh, what happens is you have the first leg of the race that they know exactly what their job is, to carry the baton all the way around and to pass it off to the next person. And so Jesus did not finish the mission, he finished his mission. He did not finish the mission of pushing the glory of God through the gospel of Christ to every people group on the planet. He finished his portion of the mission and then, in effect, handed the baton to Christians, to the church, as he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Every Christian, by virtue of belonging to Jesus, we also belong to the mission of Christ on the world. So your job is to find out what does it mean for you to, um, to, to, to walk into the, the mission that Jesus has. And so this morning... Uh, we, we've talked a lot about the mission, really over the last six years. We've talked a lot about Jesus' mission on earth and the great co-mission that we have been given. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded, and I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. So we have this commission to cover the globe with the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus. That includes a lot of things. If our mission is to make disciples of all nations, that includes evangelism. So Christians should care about trying to share the gospel with people who are not Christians yet. It includes hospitality, as we looked at a few weeks ago, using your home and your table to build a relationship to hopefully share Christ with someone. It involves uh, serving needs and, and really portraying who Jesus is and how Jesus acts to the world, that we're the hands and the feet of Jesus, so we need to serve needs that Jesus cares about. It involves every Christian employing their spiritual gifts, that God has given you something for the body of Christ so that the body can be healthier and can proceed forward, pushing the mission of Jesus forward. It includes uh, all, all of these different things. It includes teaching obviously Jesus says make disciples and he told us how to do that he said by teaching people to obey 
everything I've commanded. Sometimes we get confused. We think our job is to teach people to know things. You know, I push pretty hard that our job is not to know things, but to take those things that we know and do them. Jesus said a true disciple is not someone who has learned something, but someone who has learned something and then done it. So it includes teaching. That includes air war and ground war. That includes teaching uh, where we gather together on Sundays like this and we teach. That includes all sorts of teaching on the, on the ground, teaching each other through uh, discussion uh, in community groups or, or, or small groups uh, do, walking through the Bible and doing uh, discipleship and teaching one another through fight clubs, through conversations with kids, through conversations with friends. There's a lot of ways that we uh, help teach one another to obey what God has commanded and no doubt us uh, being involved in the mission of Jesus includes global missions. Jesus said, make disciples of what? All nations, which means all people groups. The word there he uses is ethnos. So does it include in us caring about people overseas and sending missionaries to go overseas and to find unreached people groups? Absolutely. The mission includes a lot of things that culminate in the gospel of Jesus being known and the glory of God being grown. That's the mission. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm not talking about the mission of the missionary. What I want to talk about today is the mindset of the missionary. Not necessarily what we do, but the mindset that we are going to have if we're going to be effective missionaries in our culture, in our world, in our cul-de-sac for Jesus, then we have to have a certain mindset. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, start in verse 5, and don't tune me out if you think, I don't really want to live on mission, I don't really want to invest in people, maybe, hopefully that's not you, but if it is, just know what this mindset that Christians are called to have is not just something that fuels us towards living on mission. This is actually the key component towards living a fruitful life. This is really a key that unlocks a lot of blessings in your life, that changes relationships in your life, that puts us on track to be like Jesus so that we uh, have the blessings that God has designed us to have. So this is an unbelievable mindset that should change everything for us. If you're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, say, ready... All right, we're getting there. Have this mind, Paul says, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying you need to think, your, your mind needs to be trained to be like Jesus' mind. We need to learn to think as Jesus thinks, which is a change, that's a shift. What he is about to ask us to do is not a natural thing in the natural mind of man. It's something that Jesus does, that the Holy Spirit does to change our mind. Uh, the, the way that we are programmed through our flesh to think about things is not correct. The way that our culture teaches us to think about things is not correct the way that Hollywood influences us, public school influences us, all the systems of the world influence us to think a certain way. And Paul is telling us that we need to reprogram the way that we think. The way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about our lives, the way that we think about our mission, the way that we think about our money, the way that we think about everything. He says, have this mind uh, among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, so it's our possession. We already own it. We just need to seize it and learn to think 
as Jesus thinks. Romans 12 says this, to, to, to transform our mind, to transform by the renewing of our minds, by learning to think about things as Jesus does. And I'll say this, there is a difference between being a Christian and having a Christian mind. Being a Christian is the beginning of the journey, and then the whole journey that we have as Christians is learning to change the way that we think. It, because it's possible to belong to Jesus, to be a Christian, but still be stuck in the old ways of thinking. So here's how he, how he says it, and it is unbelievably revolutionary, and it's a challenge for you, and it's a challenge for me. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, that's a clear statement, though Jesus was in the form of God, he was God, he was equal with God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, which means to be held on to, which means he didn't think that his deity was so important to him that he could not let go of that and do a few things that this is going to say that's the challenge for us. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to focus in this morning on us training ourselves to have the mind of Christ on verse 7. If we want to be like Jesus, this is how Jesus thought. Number one, it says, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. If we're going to be missionaries like Jesus, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Not talking necessarily about the mission, but the mindset of the missionary. And this was the mindset of Jesus. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. And that is a, a countercultural idea. Um, there is a book that uh, Tim Keller wrote called the, um, the, the Blessings, or what is it called? Um, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And uh, it's a small book. You could probably read it in 30 minutes. I would highly encourage you to. Um, but in this book, he talks about really bef- from, the t- from, from, from the first century all the way through until the 20th century and most of places right now on the globe and and other places, uh, the mindset was if there was a problem with society and all of the ills that came out of humanity, it was because we had too high a view of ourselves. Uh, He would basically say that all the problems of humanity had to do with pride. Crime is because we think too much of ourselves. Stealing is because we think too much of ourselves. Violence is because we think too much of ourselves for the last really all of history and half of the planet today, the problem was we think too highly of ourselves. So the answer was we need to think lower of ourselves. But the the challenge with the culture that we live in, and he makes the case that in the modern Western culture um, that we live in, uh, we're indoctrinated to believe certain things, and this comes through education. Um, This comes oftentimes through uh, the position of of, of non-Christian, non-biblical counselors. Uh, This comes through Hollywood. This comes through uh, programs that our government puts through. And he says this even comes through the way that we see uh, trying to rehabilitate uh, folks that are in prison. He says what happens? 
happens in our culture is the problem of all of society, the reason why any kind of sin or brokenness exists is because we have too low a view of ourselves. So the answer is self-esteem, that we just don't think enough about ourselves, and so we commit these crimes, we do these things, we're broken. And so the answer is if we think too lowly of ourselves and we don't have enough self-esteem, the answer is to think more highly of ourselves. The problem is is that both of those options are self-centered. Both of those options, either we think too much of ourselves and so we need to think less of ourselves or we think too little of ourselves and we need to elevate that. At the center of both of those is self. And that's why when, when, the, when, the, when the Bible talks about us renewing our minds, it's not even playing really on the same playing field. It's giving us a whole different option. Don't think better of yourself. Don't think worse of yourself. Empty yourself. And that is a challenge. That is a struggle because you're working against your flesh and everything in our culture, and yet that's what Jesus did. The gospel doesn't necessarily play those same games on the same field. It doesn't say think more about yourself, think less about yourself. And we've talked about this a lot over the years, that true humility that Philippians chapter 2 was just explaining to us as modeled so well by Jesus is not to think more of yourself or less of yourself, but it's to think of yourself less, which is what Philippians is, is calling us to do, to empty ourselves to pour ourselves out and to fill our hearts and our attention up with not consuming about what people think about us and if they think we're good enough and having to demean ourselves if we don't think we're good enough. It's not even playing those games. It's like emptying ourselves and filling us up with love of God and love of other people, which is how Jesus carried out the mission. He emptied himself, and he became humble to the point of death, it says, C.S. Lewis, in, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, I don't know if you've read this, but it's an incredible book. He was an incredible Christian thinker. Uh, he talks about what true humility is, which is really not even on the, on the charts for how we define things. True humility that Jesus models for us in Philippians 2. C.S. Lewis says, if you were to meet somebody that was truly humble, the most humble person on the planet, how many of you, you think that's you? You're the most humble person on the planet. The, the joke goes that I, I wrote a book, it was called Humility and How I Achieved It, right? Obviously, if you raise your hand, you're disqualifying yourself. Uh, plus, we, we know who the most humble man on the earth has ever been. His name was? So let's say you meet the second most humble person on the planet. C.S. Lewis says, you wouldn't even know it. You would not walk away from that interaction and that conversation thinking, that person is the most humble person I've ever met. Because they would not be talking about themselves and their accomplishments, and they would not be talking about their failures and what they don't bring to the table. You would walk away probably thinking pretty good about yourself because that person would be very much you-centered. They would be interested in you. They would ask questions about you. And C.S. Lewis says, like, that's truly what gospel humility is. It's shifting the focus and emptying ourselves so that we can turn the focus not from self, how good we are, how bad we are, but to truly empty ourselves to focus mainly on God and others, which Jesus says sums up the entire, really the entire Bible and the entire commands. All of the commands that we've been given can be summed up in this, to love God and to love your neighbor. And you can't do that unless we empty ourselves. So maybe you say, well, that sounds great. I would love to empty myself. How do I do that? How do I go about trying to change my mindset and living my life as Jesus lived his? It's very simple. It's right there in verse 7. 
It says, but Jesus emptied himself, and then the next word is by, which means this is, the next phrase is important because this is how he did that. How did Jesus empty himself? Because you know we can't just, you can't just empty something and not replace it with something else. You can't just stop doing something without starting to do something different. So Jesus, it says about Jesus that he emptied himself by, this is how he did it, by taking the form of a servant. He was equal with God. He was with God. He didn't count that as something to be desperately held on to. So he emptied himself. How did he do that? He saw himself as a servant. He became a servant, and that's the key to emptying yourself. And this is why we've got to tease this out just a little bit in the culture that we live in because there is a big difference between serving and being a servant, There is a massive difference, and we can easily get these two things confused, between serving and becoming a servant. See, serving, you can be, um, just kind of maintain ownership of your life and set aside 5%, maybe 10% of your life to say, you know what, I'm going to go serve um, this need. Um, But that still holds on to, well, until it's uh, uh, uncomfortable or until it kind of costs me a little bit, or until I don't have the time, or until I don't have the money. Like it maintains control of your life while uh, s- pushing off a little bit of time where we can serve and meet some needs. Jesus didn't say that he emptied himself by serving. It says he became a servant, which is very different than serving. So serving is setting aside 5, 10% of our life to do something that someone needs. Becoming a servant is relinquishing control, and it's an identity change, not just an activity change. Jesus saw himself as a servant 100% of the time. He even did things that he didn't want to do. See, if he just showed up to set aside 5 to 10% of his time to serve, then he would not have knelt down and cried and, and, and bled and prayed in the garden. I don't want to do this. If there's any other way other than the cross for me to, uh, to accomplish this mission, then let this, come pass, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. That's the language of a servant that sees himself as a servant that when his master tells him something to do, he does not factor in if he likes it, he does not factor in the cost, he says, yes, sir. That's the difference in serving and being a servant. If you want to empty yourself, serving is not enough because we can be very much centered on ourselves and still set aside a little bit of time to serve. Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man, he says, came not to be served, but to serve. Have you ever thought about that? How difficult that must have been for the king of the cosmos, the creator of all things, to show up on the planet that he created with the people that he created and designed. And he says, listen, I'm not here for you to serve me. I came to serve you. That, that, that's yeah, the, the disposition, the mindset of Jesus as a missionary. In Matthew chapter 20, there's an, an, an interesting conversation uh, that's taking place between the disciples and Jesus where they show up with a really, actually a good question, an intriguing question. They say, hey, uh, how can we be great? We want to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, well, you've got to change your mind, first of all. You have to change your mindset because the mindset of the world is if you want to be great, then you need to get as many people to serve you as possible. But the kingdom of God is very 
very different. He says, if you want to be great in my world, then you've got to become a servant. And he says, if you want to be the greatest, then you get yourself all the way down to being a slave. And that is deeply offensive. Uh, In the culture where they lived and where the Bible was written, the word doulos, the word slave that he uses as he invites his, his followers like you and me to not just do this but become this, it was offensive. It meant the property of someone else. And if you are the property of someone else, you have relinquished all control. And he says, listen, if you want to be great, you become a servant. If you want to become the greatest, then you become the slave to all. And what he is not saying is that we're greater in the kingdom if we do more uh, disgusting work, right? The, if you wash feet, that doesn't make you greater. You can think about, well, what would be the, the most demeaning job? If I just go do that, if I go clean the gutters on somebody's house, or if I wash their dishes, or if I uh, show up and, and babysit, or if I, uh, I don't know, what's the worst job that you could imagine on the planet? Cleaning up up your five-year-old's closet, right? You say, like, he's not talking about the, 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 the lower, in culture's eyes, the lower the job that we do makes us better. He is talking about the more others-focused you are, the greater that makes you in the kingdom. So he says, like, if you truly want to be great, you have to change your mind because it's not the way that Midland, Texas defines greatness, and, and there's even some, a lot of overlap in like the Midland, Texas and the culture that we live in and, and Christianity where we feel like, like if I'm super great, I'm going to have a lot of people that work for me and serve me. And Jesus says, listen, there's a very different way to be great, to become a servant and to not just do, but to be a slave. And the last night that Jesus had with his disciples We've talked about this so many times. He only had a few hours with them. He knew his time had come. He knew he was dying on the cross and he would leave them, ascend to heaven, put the baton in their hands. And he chose to spend the last few moments with them walking around with a basin and a towel, washing off the donkey poop from their feet. Like a disgusting, demeaning task that Jesus chose to do, not just to serve them. I mean, he chose to spend the last few moments on earth serving, meeting a very, very small, necessary, and disgusting need. And then he told his disciples, as I've done, you go and do likewise. See yourself as a servant. So if you want to be like Jesus, and not just as a missionary to the world, as the Father has sent him, so he has sent us, but this affects all of our relationships um, if we're able to empty ourselves by becoming servants which means if somebody has a need, to the best of our ability, we show up and to meet the need. Despite how much it costs, despite how difficult it is, despite if we want to, if we've relinquished control, then we belong to God and we exist to serve one another. And uh, this, this idea of being a servant that Paul sees as a complete identity change, not just an activity or something we do every now and then. And that's one of the favorite phrases that the Apostle Paul has to describe himself. When he's writing to churches, so often he calls himself the property of God, a slave or a doulos of the Lord Jesus. Uh, he, he saw himself as that. He said things like Acts chapter 20. Could you imagine being able to say this with an, with an honest heart and with an honest conscience? But Paul did. He said this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course 
That's the mission that God gave Paul to do. He says, listen, I, this isn't about me. I've emptied myself. I, I, I filled myself up with love for God, love for others, and I don't account my life as any value nor as precious to myself. It's not prideful. He's not talking about what he's done. He's not demeaning. He's not saying that he's not worthy of anything. He's just saying, I've emptied myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. First Corinthians, he challenges us to think the same way. He says in chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's Paul encouraging the church in Corinth. Listen, if you want to engage the mission that Jesus has given us, we have to remember it's not about our mission. It's about his mission. We have been purchased. We belong to him. We are a doulos, a slave of God. Until we are able to to empty ourselves by becoming servants, we will never truly engage the mission of Jesus because we will always be much more about our mission and trying to get people to help us accomplish our mission about maybe who we want to be or how much we want to accumulate. And if we're about our mission, we can never fully engage the mission of Jesus. So to empty ourselves by becoming servants then makes us useful to God. It makes us useful to the mission of Jesus in the world. And what's the result? That if we're able to, to follow in, that we've been purchased by Jesus, we belong to him, and now we're trying to retrain our mind and transform the way that we think so that we live our life like him. We're trying to empty ourselves of ourself. We're trying to become servants. And if we follow on this progress of becoming like Jesus, what happens? I've, I've already said, like, we become, I think, more missional. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. And I think he's talking about really the same thing. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. That means grasps onto it, holds onto his life and, 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 and our own uh, plans and our own agenda and our own mission. He says, if you really grasp onto all you get, then you lose almost everything important in your life. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life, that's the same thing as emptying ourselves. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That if we empty ourselves and we fill it up with love for God and love for others, that what tends to happen is everything around you gets better. Your relationships will get better. Your marriage will get better. Even your internal state will get better. I'm convinced that a huge portion uh, of depression in our culture is remedied by this. Not, not all of it. I understand it's a very complex situation. There's a lot of people that have chemical imbalances, and it's, depression is very complex. But a huge portion of it just have to do with us being very self-centered, whether that's prideful or despairing, that we need to be better, we need to be worse. It's just focused on self. And when we empty ourselves, it, it changes even our internal health. It changes your marriage. If you want a good marriage, listen, if you want a marriage that just kind of reminds you of heaven all the time, the number one ingredient you need to do is what? Empty yourself. Some of you are like, ah, I've been trying to get my, my spouse to empty themselves. Like, I've been spending all of my time trying to fix them, trying to convince them that, listen, honey, you're not the center of the world. I am, <laughs> right? Okay, you want a good marriage? Empty yourself. 
and fill it up with love for God, love for others, you will be absolutely surprised at how incredible the marriage becomes. You want a good friendship. We spend all of our time with our friends thinking, golly, why do you make the whole world revolve around you? It needs to revolve around me. Uh, Honest moment, uh, I've noticed this in myself with my kids. I get frustrated with them when they are being selfish. And normally I notice when they're being selfish when they ruin my plans. (laughs) It's like, no, listen. Only one of us gets to be selfish today, and it's me. And you're ruining my nap, and so quit being selfish so that I can be selfish. Right, this is what I'm saying. We've got to change our mind. Like This doesn't just change the, the mindset of the missionary to engage the Great Commission, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to be hospitable, to teach, to obey. It doesn't just change. It changes everything because this is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be like Jesus, who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming a servant, becoming a slave, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if you want to follow Jesus, this is step one. Empty yourself, fill it up with love for God, with love for others. Uh, This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and it's a time set aside that we as a country uh, need to pause, and I think it's a very good and healthy thing for us to pause and to think about tons and tons of men and women that have given their lives for our country, for our freedom, Um, and and if we don't stop and and pause and, and think about that, then we can really live lives that don't have much gratitude, but when we pause and we think about someone that was out of duty, out of love, out of honor and love for country, they gave the, the ultimate price. Like they laid their lives down so that they might give us some freedom that we enjoy today. As you think about that, if you're like me, you, you, you tend to struggle a little bit because there's nothing you can do to necessarily thank them because they're gone. They, 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 they gave the, the, the ultimate price, and we're just simply the beneficiaries. So it's kind of an awkward space when you start thinking about that, and the first response is just almost, it feels selfish and gratitude that my first response is to be grateful and just to receive this freedom that they've given. But then the next response should be, well, in, in some way or shape, form, fashion, to pay that forward. To, to, to embrace and to thank them for their service and their sacrifice, but then use our freedom in such a way that helps love and serve someone else just as they did to us, we do to them. You take that and you kind of put that into the, uh, the, the spiritual realm with Jesus. Um, bef- before, before you s- attempt to be like Jesus, right, before we attempt to serve like Jesus, you just simply have to be served by Jesus. You have to pause and realize that Jesus came to the planet as a servant to do everything for you that you can't contribute, that you can't add to it, that it's simply something that Jesus has done. He has done all the work. All we have to do is receive, which most of us are just not good at that. We're not good at just simply receiving something. It's very humbling not to be able to pay it back. It's very humbling not to be able to contribute. Yet if you don't receive and understand that Jesus has served you, has done everything for you, and presents to you the offer to be saved and changed at free grace, absolutely free gift, it will never be powerful enough to propel you into living a life like him. 
before you attempt to live like Jesus and to serve like Jesus, you have to be served fully by Jesus and accept what he's done in our behalf. And then after we fully accept that Jesus did those things, he removed our shame. He says that we're valuable, that we're worth something. He's died for us. He's attributed worth to us, that he's done all those things. Then out of gratitude, wanting to somewhat pay that forward as Christians, we then try to live our lives as Jesus did, to empty ourselves, to become a servant, to live on mission. Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would feel the weight of your words and that we would realize that you were no doubt praying for us and got a few moments after this in John chapter 20 you said that you breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit filled them up and gave them the ability to march forward on mission. God I pray that your spirit would fill us up that you would help us to see the mission that is before us for the glory of God through the gospel of Christ to our neighbors. God I pray that you might give us um, the humility um, that you had helped this mind be in us that was also in you to empty ourselves, not to constantly be thinking about ourselves, constantly be thinking about how people think about us or how uh, good we are or how bad we are, but you would help us by your spirit to empty ourselves and help us to do that by becoming servants, not just setting aside a small portion of our time to serve and maintaining control, but Jesus truly denying ourselves, taking up our cross, being willing to follow you, changing our identity, seeing ourselves as servants of God. Father, that's a miracle. If that takes place in our minds and our hearts, that's a miracle from you. So that's what we pray for this morning. We pray that you would be honored through our lives and through this church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.